here first things first, talking some Jameis Winston now. Coming off a 30-interception season. Nick, you're a bit on delay, so I'm going to say it for you. That ain't great. A recent Tampa Bay Times column isn't helping, <laughs> saying teams, quote, don't like what they see when evaluating Jameis in free agency. Nick, you surprised Winston's market is looking bleak? Not really. I think Colin Cowherd has it right when he says three things in life you don't want to go cheap on. He says toilet paper, very apropos for the times, transportation, and quarterbacks. And I think people look at Jameis as not only the cheap option, but uh, the unreliable option in that regard. And here's the other thing, Wilds, that is really working against Jameis. Who are the teams that need a quarterback? There's only one team in the league we know needs a quarterback, Miami, but they think they're probably drafting one. The Chargers, we believe, need a quarterback, but they seem to like Tyrod. The Jags, I believe, need a quarterback, but they've got Jenna's BFF, Gardner Minshew. The Broncos assuredly <laughs> need a quarterback, but John Elway's there, so he probably loves Drew Locke. So what is the market if he wants to be a starting Quarterback, there's not a lot of teams right now, Wilds, that actually think they need one. I totally agree. I, I want to read a Bruce Arians quote. I've got two Bruce Arians quotes. I want to read this one verbatim. This is from the Tampa Bay Times. <clears throat> Describing, Bruce Arians describes uh, Jameis's tenure with the Bucks. There's so much good and so much outright terrible. So I think that's your <laughs> former coach talking. And then when Arians was on with Rich Eisen the other day, there's a little piece of unintentional comedy where he was saying how great of a guy Jameis is. He works so hard, et cetera, et cetera. He says he reached out to some teams. And Rich is like, you did? I, you know, I know you probably won't tell me what teams. He's like, what was the reaction? And uh, <laughs> Rich Arian says, uh, one team was not interested and one team said, thanks for calling. So, like, that's it. I don't think the market's that big, and I don't think Bruce Arians doing a great job selling his guy that he's just a fantastic fit for your team. Hey, Greg, let me ask you something. It seems like Jameis is as good as he is bad, and that's the problem. When you get excited about his upside, you're brought back down to reality because of his downside. He's kind of like, in my Seinfeld knowledge he's kind of like even steven but that's not oh, good enough go. to be a starting quarterback on any of the teams when there's when there aren't that many slots to begin with am i right yeah but i'm i'm shocked that no one has taken a chance on Jameis winston because typically when you have a guy who is very talented and who can provide you such a great upside kind of high risk um high reward you tend to get coaches that feel like i can be the coach that fixed that and so if I'm looking at coaches that could potentially fix it, who have situations, because I don't believe that James Winston, obviously, as Nick put it, is going to go into a situation where he's going to be the outright starter. He's going to have to earn a spot. You can look at a team like the Dallas Cowboys, who have a Mike McCarthy, who Whoa. understands how to work with guys and kind of get them to understand defenses to better suit their ability to be accurate and to be have more better decision-making processes when having the ball in their hands. Now, I don't think that'll happen, but he has to go to a guy that can bring that out of him. And a lot of people thought that that was going to be Bruce Arians, and it wasn't. And I think that's what's really becoming a turnoff for a lot of these NFL teams, the fact that Bruce Arians could not do anything 
positive with Jameis Winston. If not Bruce, then who, Nick? Well, I, first of all, I, Greg's point about the Cowboys, I think is a really interesting one, not only because of the McCarthy angle, but if you're, it would be a little, you know, Cold War against Dak. Like, oh, you don't want to sign this $115 million deal. Yeah, former fourth-round pick. Well, how about we bring in a former number one overall pick to back you up? Does that maybe get Dak back to the negotiating table? But the team that I think makes sense, has a need, is used to a quarterback, maybe not being in the best of shape and throwing a bunch of picks. How about the Pittsburgh Steelers? What about sitting behind Ben for a year and then maybe not for a full year if Ben's elbow is not fully recovered? You've got that great defense, Jenna. You have that excellent head coach, Mike Tomlin. You've never had a losing season. They need a backup quarterback because it's not the Duck and it's not Mason Rudolph. So to me, the Pittsburgh as a backup, maybe one day heir apparent, Jenna, for Jameis makes a lot of sense. I like it. How about the fact that Jameis and Cam, both former number one overall picks, both still available as quarterbacks in free agency. Back here, first things first, talking a little Tom Brady. Most people who watched Brady complete last season didn't see the usual play of this six-time Super Bowl champ. Not Bucks GM Jason Light. He saw vintage Brady saying, quote, the tape to us showed that he had plenty of arm. So, Nick, what's more likely for Brady this season in Tampa Bay? MVP-level season or he-might-struggle-mightily season? Well, if, there, if those are the only two doors I can walk through, then every person with a brain will walk through that he'll struggle mightily. Now, it probably is going to be somewhere in the middle, but like, can we just show Tom Brady's play over the last four years instead of that carefully manicured highlight clip? You buying that stock <laughs> at age 43? Because I'm not. That shows a precipitous decline over the last two seasons, a gradual decline for over the last three seasons. And now one would imagine it's going to continue to trend in that direction. So, Kevin, if the only options available to me are Tom Brady all of a sudden has that line graph shoot all the way back up to 2017 MVP level, or it continues down to where he would be struggling mightily, of course I'm going to say it's more likely that he struggles mightily. Well... I'm trying to think about how the Bruce Arians factor weighs into this. I actually think Tom Brady is going to make Bruce Arians a much better coach. So he'll do this by pulling the weeds on his offense. When you look at turnover-worthy plays, uh, since 2006, Jameis had 40 last year. Uh, Carson Palmer had 40 in 2013. Andrew Luck had 40 in 2012. Those were all in their first year of Arians. Now, I think Tom Brady is going to be more like a starting pitcher. In baseball, he's going to look at this play and be like, mm, nope. And then look at another play like, mm, nope. He's going to take a few of those plays and throw them in the garbage. And he'll keep the good Arians plays and throw the bad ones away. And that could give like a Jameis-esque season without any of the turnovers. Greg, are you buying that at all? Um, I'm buying it to a degree. I think he's going to fall somewhere in the middle. Like all Nick of it. Said. Great. Thanks, but Greg. If, if I had to pick, I would say he's going to air closer to an MVP level. Um, and the reason why is simply because of the weapons around him 
and the opportunities that he's that he's going to be afforded. It, he's when you are a player that's been counted out and you have had success. It's hard to literally eliminate the will of a champion and to say that they won't be able to succeed and they, what they won't do and they will struggle struggle mightily. And so for me to sit here and say Tom Brady will struggle mightily because what has what Nick you showed everything kind of trending down. Yeah, that might be the case. His level of play may not be uh, at the highest of heights, but it may be just good enough for us to say Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a special team next year. Can I just remind everyone that Jameis Winston was sacked 47 times last year? Brady, oh, <laughs> Brady yeah. likes to get the ball out early, so he's going he's gonna to be in for it uh, with that offensive line. But listen, Bucks GM also went on to say, uh, we feel like he could play for over two years for us. All we've heard from Brady is, I want to play till I'm 45. We haven't heard past that because it seems preposterous to think about. But Nick, can Brady play more than two years for Tampa Bay? Well, this, well, more than two years, whether it's for Tampa Bay or someone else, because this obviously is Kevin Wilde's ultimate dream. Brady plays two years for Tampa <laughs> and still has a lot left in the tank and then signs for the age 45 season, his, you know, his final <laughs> victory lap around the NFL with the New England Patriots after they've had two years of Stidham or Hoyer, whomever they're going with. But again, if you're offering me two doors, one is that Brady gets another contract after this one, and the other is that Brady does not make it through this contract, then obviously door number two is the smarter bet. Like, what is more likely? that Brady in two years is good enough to still be a starting quarterback as his goal is to play three more years in the NFL, or that after one year in Tampa, he's we're all looking around the room, and most importantly, Jason Light's looking around the room like, uh, yeah, wait, wait, it's all guaranteed for the year two? All of it? $25 million? Like, it, obviously, that's more likely. It's the same way, Wilds. Again, it's probably somewhere in the middle but it's the same way if there's two doors. Brady's the best quarterback in a division with Breeze, Ryan, and Bridgewater, or Brady's the worst quarterback in a division with Breeze, Ryan, and Bridgewater. If it has to be one of those two doors, it is also door number two. I feel like all evidence points to that, Kevin Wilds. Jenna, can I be totally honest? I have thought about him coming Please. back to New England. Like, <laughs> Brian Hoyer's been on the team three times. We brought back Ben Watson. So when I saw that he only signed for two years. He has a no trade clause. He's got a, uh, you can't franchise him. I was like, maybe he'll come back. Maybe he could come back. I also want to take an opportunity, although I love Brady with all my heart and soul, playing past your 40 is really Warren Moon's thing. And we got, I got a great stat from Dusty, our researcher. He said, prior to 1996, no quarterback 40 or above has started six games. Since then, it's kind of like the norm. I think we, there's 13, there's 16 or 13, 13, Dusty, 13 quarterbacks have started. And then you've got right on the cusp, Philip Rivers, Big Ben, uh, Aaron Rodgers says he wants to play till he's 40. So now it's like I could see Brady going further as there's a bunch of quarterbacks that just are turning 40 and keep playing. Greg, you said and you talked about the will of a champion and you can't take that out of someone. And if they've got the will to win, they're going to win, they're going to succeed. He doesn't have will in his arm. 
you know, he, he doesn't have will and his pliability and his durability. You know a lot about that. Yes. I mean, these are real legitimate issues to, to, to consider as you get older. I mean, no, quarterbacks, yeah, they're playing a little older, but 43, 44, 45. Now you're just, I mean, father time is not setting in. It has set in, no? No, it's definitely setting in. It obviously has not set in because he's still out here playing and he's on under contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. However, you have to take into consideration that you have linemen, you have receivers, you have running backs, you have all these other guys who are depending on you, but also who now you are depending on to make you better. And that's what Tom Brady is banking on. He's not going down to Tampa Bay with the same mentality that he had 10 years ago, saying, I'm the guy, put the ball in my hands, and I'll make everything right. No, these offensive linemen are going to take ownership. We're going to see some great play. We're going to see some poor play. But more than not, we're going to see them stepping up to the plate to make sure Tom Brady's uniform stays clean because they understand, just like we do, he is older. He can't take those hits. We can't allow him to hit the ground. We can't allow him to hold on to the ball and be under duress every time he drops back. Now, some of that is going to be out of their um, uh, hands to avoid. But for the most part, this is going to be the mentality of everyone across that, that roster and specifically on that offensive side of the ball is that we have to do whatever we can to make sure this works not only for Tom Brady, but for us, because we've never won. We haven't won. I'm not talking about the Bucs that did win. This team right now, this last 12 years, they have not experienced any amount of success, and they won it desperately. So I think they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure and to ensure Tom Brady is healthy and gives them that best chance. Nick, quickly, even if that means changing Bruce Arians' system, right? Well, yeah, I think there'll be adjustments, but I just, again, maybe I'm a prisoner of logic. Men typically don't get better at anything in their mid-40s. Like, there's not a thing guys typically do. It's like, you know when I was at my best? 46 years old. Nah, bruh. Like, you are at, in your 40s, you're typically trying to just maintain the level you achieved either in your late 20s or mid-30s, depending on what activity it is we're talking about here. So the idea that Brady is going to recapture his youth, I just don't see it under any offense, Bruce Arians or otherwise. Back here, first things first, Luke, who's joining us now, Saints All-Pro defensive end Cam Jordan, who walked away from his breakfast to sit down and speak with us. For that, we are so grateful. Thank you very much, Cam Jordan. Uh, obviously, you're joining us under some very unique circumstances. I want to start just by asking, how are you? How are your friends and family? What have you been doing during this time? Uh, we're great uh, in terms of how is health. I mean, health in the house is wonderful. Um, everybody in the house is active. I've got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old. Uh, you know, my wife is overly active, uh, coming from Rutgers, playing basketball over there. Uh, she's a West Coast kid. So everything we do, we just do it in the backyard now. So, I mean... Uh, if, it, if it means, you know, push-ups, jumping jacks, squats, everybody in the house is on this routine. Um, we've got our own little, little ladder outside in the hallway. Uh, step ladder, of course. I'm getting my son's feet work right. I don't know if he ever had a chance to, but every, every day we're on this ladder. 
if anything, I'm gonna I know we're gonna be running some crispy routes very soon. That that's awesome, Cam. And listen, you are in addition to coming off your best season as a pro. You are coming off your best season in the media. You're all over everywhere doing sideline reporting. You're in other networks promos. So you obviously have a very bright post-career, you know, second career. But I want you to talk about you for a second because so much of this interview is going to be about your team and your quarterback, your division. The last three years, you got 40 sacks. You, Aaron Donald, Chandler Jones, the only people on that list. You're going into year 10. Your dad played 13 years, if I'm not mistaken. We had it on the bottom of the screen. You have 87 career sacks. You're 50 away from 137. Why does 137 matter? Everybody with 137 or more is in the Hall of Fame if they're eligible. How much more do you think? Do you think you got 50 more sacks in you? Are you going to play longer than your dad's 13 years? What are some of your personal goals still out there? And do you start envisioning the gold jacket potentially one day? Talk about yourself for a moment. Yeah, when you talk about uh, what I want to do, uh, I've always said I wanted to make myself known as a, as a pass rusher in the league. I wanted to make myself known as a run stopper in the league. I wanted to be the most complete all-around defensive end in the game. And I feel like I've done that uh, to, to this point anyways. You talk about heading to year 10. I have a goal. I mean, if I can get, you know, another double-digit sack uh, situation under my belt, I feel like 100 sacks in 10 years is noteworthy. Uh, I didn't, you know, I don't know if I even knew about the 137 sack uh, threshold. But when you talk about uh, striving for the next six years, I have every plan to do just that. I have, I, in my mind, I have anywhere from six to eight years in, in, in left in the bank. Um, wow! So I'll, I'll reach my year 15 mark, and we'll go from there. Cam, when when you heard about Tom Brady joining the division, what went through your mind, and how? What's your process like going to be? When you used to prepare for Jameis and now you're preparing for Tom Brady. Um, I mean, when you talk about Tom Brady uh, being one of the goats, I mean, if it's not Drew Brees, it's Tom Brady. So <laughs> uh, it's somebody that I know that I've sacked before, at least. I think it's probably been maybe just once. Uh, but we're going to have to change that this year. Uh, we talk about trying to put pressure on him. Oh, I mean, boy. he does a phenomenal job at everything he does. He is one of the last remaining pocket quarterbacks, but he is – the greatest pocket quarterback in terms of winning championships. Um, so everything that you know that he is and everything that Tom Brady has been at the Patriots, I can only imagine what he's going to do in Tampa Bay. Now he has Mike Evans and Godwin. Hey, Cam, your head coach, Sean Payton, made some headlines this week. We were talking about it earlier when he said Drew Reese, quote, announced he's coming back for his final season he walked it back a little bit, said he was a dummy for saying that, not sure if he should have, and he's not sure about what Drew, uh, Drew Brees' plans are. But how do you think we should interpret those comments? Yeah, you talk about um, Sean being in quarantine the last two weeks. That's, that's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of, a lot of plays he's worried on. Uh, <laughs> in, in my mind, um, every year you deal with some rumor either Sean's leaving or Drew's retiring. I've been dealing with that for, for the last, what, six years of my nine-year career? Uh, until it happens, everybody knows that Drew's going to be playing at the highest level that he can, and everybody knows his percentage of, of completions he's had this past year. Everybody talks about how many touchdowns he throws versus how many, you know, what, what, how many interceptions he doesn't throw. Um, you know how great Drew is, and now he's got Mike Thomas uh, the last four years, and he's only going to hit an even better stride, if possible, uh, in the next couple of years. So it's all hearsay until it happens. 
Cam, I, I got a question for you. Let's just assume this year goes exactly how you have planned out in your mind's eye, and you guys win the Super Bowl, and then Drew does end up walking away. He's a champ, two-time champion, holds all the records. He says, I've done enough here. We keep hearing the heir apparent is Taysom Hill. And I have immense respect for Taysom Hill as a do-it-all guy. But Taysom Hill in his career has completed six more passes than you and me, which means he's completed six passes in the NFL. What am I not seeing that seems, <laughs> are you seeing it? Like, how, how can it be that the heir apparent is the guy on kick coverage who occasionally breaks out and plays slot receiver? What am I missing about Taysom Hill? And can return kicks. And yes, yeah, can do it all. Being tight end, tight end formation, halfback formation, and a slot. He can do it all. And he can pass. Um, everything that you know about Taysom Hill is, you know, he, he's got a meticulous work effort. And I mean, uh, so if Sean has faith in him, that's what we have to do. I don't know if we've ever really been in the uh, in the league to say, hey, this is the heir apparent just because we've always had Drew Brees um, and playing it in his, at his best. So for there to be heir apparent, I'll just trust uh, the Saints organization. You know, we had Teddy Bridgewater as a backup. And when he took over for a five-game stretch, he went undefeated. So if Sean says, hey, this is our next quarterback, then I'm going to uh, reside in, in the words of, of Sean and say, hey, that's our heir apparent. Uh, now, I did, you know, read the same article saying that, you know, he was going to have the same Swiss bl- or <laughs> Army Swiss knife uh, role that he had last year. Uh, so does that mean we're going to pick up a third quarterback? Again, I'm just going to relay information to uh, – <laughs> the the Saints up top. I don't have to worry about that. That's above my pay grade. My pay grade is pretty nice. Cam <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot what? of money. He makes a lot of money. <laughs> uh, you set the record uh, last year. You've sacked Matt Ryan 18 times. No player has sacked a quarterback that many times. What's your relationship like with Matt Ryan? Sadly, it's non-existent. I feel like we should be way better friends than just this, hey, I only see you twice a year. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I need an invite to the cookout, but I feel like he has a he has maybe my invitation to my cookout. Uh, I, I need him. You know, I need everybody in the NFC South. I feel like Atlanta has been great to me over these last nine years. Um, you know, Carolina has been great to me. I feel like Tampa Bay has been even better to me. Uh, and then I look at the numbers, I'm like, Atlanta's my best friend. And then they're again, they're my rivals. So uh, I need them. Hopefully they need me. It's probably not a two-way street there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cam, you play with Drew Brees. You're now going to play against Tom Brady. As a player who has seen both of them, who do you think is going to play longer in the NFL? Who's going to outlast who? Uh, And that's, it's, it's a battle of attrition. I mean, in my mind, I'd never have to worry about Drew retiring because I feel like, you know, they're always fighting, like Tom and Drew are fighting for the all-time records, whether it's all-time receptions, whether it's all-time TDs. Somebody's got to outlast somebody. And I do know Drew's a little bit younger than Tom. So I feel like we have a little competitive age of time uh, on our hands. And I mean, at this point, Drew's playing at, at such a high rate. I feel like with Tom Brady signing a two-year deal, I know I've got Drew for at least that long. Cam, I'm, I'm always amazed by your energy, positivity, optimism, even 
you know, in the in the just days after this season ends, it, it, particularly because you you have you, you're on a very short list of guys who, as far as you you've lost four playoff games on the final play of the game. Like I've never seen anything like it. Your first playoff game ever, I think, was the Vernon Davis game. You guys are up with nine seconds left. He catches a touchdown. We all know the last three years, the Minneapolis miracle, OT the Rams, OT last year against Minnesota. How are you able to turn the page and keep this infectious energy and enthusiasm when you've dealt with some heartbreaking ways for your season to end? I mean, I think about 2011 rookie year. Woo. That was a, that was a big cam right there. I had to, I had to think about how heavy I was back then. Uh, but you talk about <laughs> my rookie. I guess I didn't know Vernon could cry on cue. Cause I mean, he was like, he was crying immediately after the game. And then, you know, I've seen him all on tape, just like cry and then stop crying. I'm like, Oh, was this a sham? Was this an act? Anyway, the way that he took that, he took that game from us uh, rookie year, you look at it and it's like, all right, I need to win one. I mean, we have the talent. I need to win one. Uh, you talk about what happened uh, respectively the last three years. It's each time it's like something else happens. There's something that, that, we don't, you know, the intangible of the game is like something other than the 11 men on the football field affected. But at the same time, I look at it, I'm like, hey, if we could only do, you know, if we could get back two plays, if we could get back one play, if we could only take the last couple seconds of this game and make it, you know, where we created a stand, what does that change? What is that difference? And to want to be a part of that difference, that's the exact same feel you get in this entire locker room. We get into the locker room, it's like, look, we're that much closer to where we want to be. The object of this game is winning. The object of this game is a Super Bowl. I don't have that yet. And so there's no reason for me not to be more hungry each and every time we take to, to the field. Cam, you did a great interview with The Athletic last year where you named every quarterback or you tried to name every quarterback you've ever sacked in your career. And in the interview, they talked about a wish list. Have you updated your wish list or what? who's on your current uh, quarterback sacking wish list? Uh, I don't know if I have a quarterback sacking wish list. Um, honestly, when it, when you talk about quarterbacks, they, they come as they go. But I do know the NFC South, which I've been a part of for the nine for nine years, has at least amassed 30 of my sacks, 40 of my sacks. So I'm just going to rely on everybody in NFC South to keep that same energy. Um, now, all the other quarterbacks that have happened, uh, I do appreciate them, but I knew no six games out of my, you know, 16-game schedule is coming from the NFC South. Um, so I'm just going to rely on that. Now we talked about how many quarterbacks I sacked. I, I definitely needed like some hints and clues. I was like, Oh, Oh, I remember when he was over at this team and, and when he was there and what year was that? What game was that? That was a heck of an interview just to try and think about that. And I probably rattled off more quarterbacks than I really thought I had known. Um, so when you talk about a wish list, I got to get, uh, I got to get young Mahomie. Uh, and I think Lamar would be, no. probably be next. No. I, I need, I need, I need my homie. I don't know. Look, I've seen what Lamar has done to defensive ends on on the, on the outside. I've been a defensive end in the, in his limited role when Flacco was there, uh, trying to turn the corner. And I feel like that is one of two quarterbacks to every turn the corner. I still need to sack Russell Wilson in a regular season game. I think I've gotten him playoffs. I don't know if I've actually gotten him. Um, I've hit him plenty of times. Somehow he's like turned, like curled up to a ball, like hit his offensive lineman, gained uh, his ba- regained his balance. And taken off. I mean, I've definitely hit him at, at an angle, and I think I like sort of clipped him, but he got yards. He got like a yard and a half. Um, so he's really on my wish list uh, in terms of just the competitor that Russell Wilson is. He's probably up there. 
Um, I'm still kicking myself in, in the in the back for never being able to sack Peyton Manning for some reason. I feel like these these pure quarterback, you know, pocket quarterbacks are the ones that you should get when you have this chance. But well, I think I was he's gonna be playing golf pretty on- soon. You're gonna get him out on the golf course. Just come up from behind. He'll never even know what happened, and you can mark <laughs> that down. Put that on your wish list. WWE superstar Kofi Kingston joining us this morning. Kofi, good morning. Thank you for being with us. I want to jump right in. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Lighten the mood for all of us. Uh, I'll raise it up. Speaking of that, I'll raise it all the way up, Kofi, which you will be doing at the event. Tell me about the opportunity to be able to entertain people during these difficult times. Clearly, your personality is ready to just sort of jump out there. Yeah, for sure. This is uh, something that we take uh, a lot of pride in, being able to entertain people throughout any kind of tough times that they might be having. You know, uh, that's been WWE pretty much 101 for, you know, however long. But, um, yeah, it's just important to uh, be able to provide a sense of levity, you know, Uh, and and to be a person that is on this WrestleMania. It's probably like one of, if not the most unique WrestleManias in the history of WrestleManias. Um, but at the same time, you know, with the, no crowd many, or, or whatever, but at the same time, it's something that like we are, you know, it, it's just so unique, you know, so to be on that card is um, it's, it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, we take a lot of pride in just bringing that energy and uh, it's still WrestleMania for us. So I think the show is going to be great. It's going to be two days, which has never happened before either. Gronk as the host, you know, me being a Patriots fan. And as a matter of fact, so I just watched you guys' segment just before. And like when I was thinking about the questions that you guys might ask me for this interview, I was like, oh, man, they probably might ask me about Brady. They might ask me about the Patriots. I'm like, man, what if we got Tua? I start, hand to God, hand to God, you know? And then I wake up, send the, you know, the Boston Globe has this article about this possibility. So this is why you like, you put these things out into the universe, you know? You affirm. My mom always says affirmation is key. And now here we are, you know? I don't want to get my hopes up. But, man, Let's if we go. got Tua, boy, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Let's go. Well, I know, I know we're going to get into Gronk and the Tom Brady or Tua later in our discussion, but I want to ask you about this weekend in this regard. A huge part of your story has been the embrace of the fans, the, the way the fans have embraced you, not only from their couches but in the arena. The pop you get in the crowd is one of the things that really skyrocketed you to real superstardom. WrestleMania this year is in a very unique place, as we all are, as we're dealing with this pandemic. How much more incumbent is it going to be on the superstars to bring even extra energy because there's no crowd? And how much tougher is that as a superstar when you don't hear the crowd either chanting or booing, but you've got to deliver it because people are doing that on their couches you just can't see him and hear him. It's definitely a lot different. I'm not going to lie, Nick. When we were out there, uh, you know, it's it's just different. Um, like you said, we thrive off the crowd. It's such a huge part, probably the biggest part of what we do. But at the same time, like as performers, we have this internal sense of, I guess, where the crowd should be. And for myself, like I told you, like when I, when I was on the show like a while ago, this is all I've ever wanted to do. So anytime I get into a ring, and I start getting in there again with guys like the Usos or guys like Miz and Morrison who are so good at what they do. You can't help 
but feel energized. And that energy just carries out throughout the arena. Regardless, we always say, like, we put on the best show if you have one person in the crowd or you have a million people in the crowd. The energy from us is always the same. You always want to go all out. Obviously, the crowd helps that. But um, our energy doesn't doesn't really change, you know. So and then at the in the back of our minds, we know that we are providing that sense of relief for people, a distraction, you know, uh, and a sense of entertainment that the WWE always brings. So you you, you feed off of that, you know. And I think that people are going to be pleasantly surprised with the way that uh, WrestleMania is this year, even though it is different. Kofi, you talked about the historical uh, importance of WrestleMania. You, of course, won your belt last year at WrestleMania. How important was it to, for you to win at WrestleMania? You could have won in a lot of ways, but you won it at WrestleMania, just like a lot of the heroes that you saw growing up. Yeah, for me, it was a uh, stereotypically a childhood dream that came true. You couldn't have written a better story the way that it happened. It was just so organic. It wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, and it was the crowd that gave the fuel and the energy for it to, to progress week after week. Uh, Kofi mania is what a lot of people referred to last year's WrestleMania as. And as a performer, that's what you strive for. You want to have a moment that reaches so many people, that affects so many people in so many different ways. So, um, yeah, for me, that's that's what that was. And uh, like I'm getting goosebumps here, like talking about it in my house with nobody in the room. My kids might walk in at any given moment, by the way. They're probably about to wake up pretty soon. But uh, it's just, it still blows my mind that even a year later, thinking about the effect that that match and, and my victory there and winning the WWE Championship had on so many different people. I get messages on Twitter all the time. It's hard to believe that it was a year ago because it really does feel like yesterday that I was in there with Woods and E and 85,000 people and my family in the crowd and my, uh, my, my kids getting in the ring with me and my oldest son throwing out a T-shirt, you know, uh, to everybody. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. It is truly incredible. And even, like I said, a year, a full year later, here we are, and it still feels as amazing as it did the night that I won. Kofi, this is really cool. On top of everything else you're doing, you're now starring in a Netflix film called The Main Event about an 11-year-old boy who discovers a mask and, and goes on to become a WWE superstar. Tell us about the experience. What was the whole thing like? What was it like filming this? It was awesome. I think a lot of people, uh, the, the natural transition, like from being a WWE superstar to post-WWE, everyone always talks about, oh, well, you're going to go into acting, right? You're going to go into Hollywood. And to me, they're very different things. They're very different entities in the way that you approach it. And I, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go that route, but I think that uh, like this was the perfect way to kind of get my feet wet. I'm playing myself in the movie. I had an amazing, there was a, an amazing cast there. Um, you know, it's just, it, it was, it was crazy. It was awesome. And um, you know, myself, I'm in it. Seamus is in it. It's a story about a boy who finds like a magical lucha mask and he gets all these wrestling powers, you know what I mean? And he, he's able to go out and, like, live out his dream. And I just happen to be the character that he looks up to in the movie. So he's wearing my shirt. He's, you know, his grandmother is in love with me, you know? So it, it's, it's an awesome, like, just a fun story that comes out on Netflix. And the timing actually couldn't be any better because with everybody being indoors, a lot of people are watching Netflix, you know? So I think this, uh, this story is going to be able to bring people a lot of... Uh, just a lot of, you know, just a lot of joy. It's like your feel-good, like, 
if you're a kid who wants to be a wrestler, this is kind of the story that you want to, you know, that you want to be involved with. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think it was, I think it was great. What's up, man? <laughs> Kofi, our colleague at Fox Sports, future NFL Hall of Famer Rob Gronkowski, you mentioned him earlier. He obviously has a huge part with WrestleMania. I am curious if he decided to go full bore. Oh, look at that guy. I didn't even see him there. What's up, man? He jumped. Uh, I told uh, you he was going to wake up. If he decided he to us. go full bore. Yeah, absolutely. We were too loud. WWE <laughs> superstar. You think Gronk has it in him if he wanted to drop the mic and try to get in the ring with you guys? Oh, yeah, 100%. I had the uh, opportunity to cross paths with him as all the uh, things were going on. And, and Gronk, definitely, his personality is such that, you know, when he got in the ring a few years ago in the Andre Memorial Battle Royal, he, like, he just looked like he belonged. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's got it on the mic. He's got the charisma. He's got the size. He's got the energy. And I think he's been wanting to do this for a real, real long time. So we'll see what happens after... He, uh, he hosts, but I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, if he ended up in the ring at some point soon. Kofi, Bill Belichick is a champion. You're a champion. As as champion to champion, if you call Belichick, what do you want to do at quarterback now? Ooh, I, <laughs> how can I tell Bill Belichick what to do? I'm the guy who is like I, I I've been so blessed as from my childhood all the way up until now to have experienced like such uh, a winning tradition. And I'm so spoiled. You know, I've been to, to nine Super Bowls. You know what I'm saying? And I say that because I feel like I was on the field with my boys. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, I've won six of them. There are so many of my friends who haven't even sniffed the Super Bowl. They haven't sniffed the playoff. I mean, Kansas City hadn't won the Super Bowl in 50 years. I don't know what that feels like. And that's all because of Bill Belichick and his plan, you know, and, and the system. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so, so I can't, I don't know, man. I, I'm always one to just trust in the system. And I think that uh, Belichick knows what he's doing, you know. And, and as sad as it was to see Tom Brady go, uh, I feel like he's given me so much as a fan of the Patriots that if he wants to go off and prove himself somewhere else and he wants to do other things, I feel like he's earned that right. You know, so um, so we'll see, man. It's it's a very long winded answer to say that, you know, to, to beat around the bush here and, and not give. A, I gave you a non answer. You know, I'm not going to well, give Kofi, I'm kind super of excited. I'm super excited for the adorable little boy on your lap. Just like you got two uninterrupted decades of success in Super Bowls with Brady, he's going to get to grow up in the Jared Stidham era, and I'm sure it'll be just the same. And you guys, it'll, it'll be you guys and he, you and your M will be able to compare memories of the Brady era you hey, grew up in and the Stidham era that that adorable right. little yeah. boy is about to grow of the age into. The, hey, look, the, this is my son Kai, and he might be getting into. The, uh, the Jared Stidham era. But I think a lot of people might have said the same thing about Brady when Bledsoe went out oh so long ago. And I'm not saying oh, yeah. that Stidham is Brady by any means, but let's give Stidham a chance before everybody starts making all, throwing all these okay. punch shots and making these jokes. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. We'll see, man. We'll see. <laughs> I, like I said, I don't... Right. When it comes to the Patriots, I just... I have faith. I have faith, you know? Our defense is still tight. So uh, hopefully Stidham can grow... And, and become Tom Brady-esque. And maybe he'll come on the show and make you eat those words, Nick. You know? Make you eat those <laughs> okay. words. Wouldn't we love that? 
Hey, Kai, it's great to meet you. We love seeing you. We love the work your dad does. Kofi, thank you so much. You're such a great personality. So much to contribute. We really appreciate speaking to you this morning. Good luck.